the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blind is engineering and producing today's program. Today we're going to talk with retired uh, senior judge Tom Cole. He's going to join us to talk about a ministry that he, along with Rich Jones, pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, have founded Paid in Full. They are part of that rare fraternity of fathers who lost their daughters to a violent crime. We're going to talk about this prison ministry that really is uh, quite remarkable given uh, both of their experience with the criminal justice system. We're also going to talk with Tim Winter in the five o'clock hour. He's the president of the Parents Television Council, and uh, he'll join us to talk about an effort to undermine the rating system that at least gives parents some tool uh, to determine whether or not a particular film is appropriate for their sons and daughters. So we'll talk with him uh, about that and what the Motion Picture Association of America is doing about the whole thing. By the way, I also wanted to mention that uh, we're going to talk with Judge Cole about a 500-mile walk he completed this spring. We'll tell you more about his uh, his journey to El Camino. Um, we'll spend some time talking about that as well. Well, taking a look at some of the developing stories right now, President Trump and Republican State Senator Troy Balderson claimed victory in Ohio in the special congressional election on Tuesday in a rare too-close-to-call race. Now, keep in mind, this was a special election. That means this same pair, despite the fact that uh, Senator Troy Balderson won this round, will face one another again in November. And the outcome could be different at that time. Now, this is a vastly um, Republican district. The turnout, I believe, was somewhere around 30 percent for uh, Democrats. I'm hearing somewhere closer to 90 percent. He barely the Republican barely eked by in this race. So it's going to be an interesting one to watch in November. Also, Rick Gates, the star witness in the fraud trial of ex-Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, admitted having an extramarital affair in London as defense attorneys attempted to undermine his credibility. And that's pretty much what uh, the day was all about. President Trump will make the final decision on whether he will be uh, interviewed by special counsel Robert Mueller's team. The president's attorney, Jay Sekulow, told Fox News' uh, Sean Hannity. And more than 700,000 foreign nationals overstayed their visa in 2017, the Department of Homeland Security says in a new report. The Trump administration announced it will impose 25 percent tariffs on an additional 16 billion in Chinese imported products later this month. And NFL legend Jim Brown says that he would always respect the American flag and prefers that players always stand during the national anthem. Well, as mentioned, buoyed by a dramatic last minute rally by the president, Republican state Senator Troy Balderson appeared to be inching closer to beating back a challenge by insurgent Democrat Danny O'Connor in Ohio's special election for a vacant House seat on Tuesday. A victory in that race for the Ohio uh, historically conservative 12th congressional district would deny Democrats the major upset they had sought of the uh, 
ahead of the November midterm elections. The winner takes the seat previously held by Republican Pat Tiberi, who resigned in January to take another job. Speaking of cheering supporters Tuesday night, Balderson said O'Connor ran a hard race and claimed victory. And in a tweet Tuesday night, the president wrote that Balderson had won a great victory during a very tough time of year for voting, referring to the fact that August, uh, not a... uh, uh, primary, but a mid a, a special election. Uh, but O'Connor has not conceded and said in a statement released shortly before midnight. That's last night. We don't know the results quite yet. The race remained too close to call. Balderson held a slim one percentage point lead, and with all the precincts reporting, but there were some three thousand four hundred thirty-five provisional ballots left to be reviewed and five thousand forty-eight outstanding absentee ballots. That's enough for O'Connor to potentially pick up enough votes to force a mandatory recount. Uh, It appears at this point that recount will not take place, but it's still somewhat fluid. Rick Gates, the star witness testifying against his former boss, ex-Trump campaign advisor Paul Manafort, after taking a plea deal, acknowledged, well, some unsavory behavior in London while working for Manafort as a defense Uh, as the defense rather accused him of leading a secret and second life. For the last two days in courts, Gate has testified that he and Manafort committed bank and tax fraud together. But during cross-examination on Tuesday, the defense painted Gates as a living, as living rather, a secret life in London and accused him of embezzling money from Manafort's foreign accounts at the uh, center of the trial to indulge an extramarital affair in Britain. The questioning was part of the Manafort defense strategy of presenting Gates to the jury as someone who lies and cannot be trusted. And President Trump will make the final decision on whether he will sit down with Russia's special counsel Robert Mueller's team of investigators, despite his legal team's reservations against an interview. Well, talks between both sides have been ongoing, but the president's attorney, Jay Sekulow, says that uh, he was strongly leaning against granting Mueller access to the president. Frankly, it is the position of the legal team, and it's been pretty clear on this is that there's not a constitutional basis to move an inter- uh, move an interview forward, he said on uh, the Hannity interview, Seculo cited several concerns with Mueller's probe, saying it was in, initiated rather in part because of an unverified DNC funded steel dossier and what he described as politically motivated leaks by fired FBI director James Comey. And more than 700,000 foreign nationals who were supposed to leave the United States in recent months overstayed their visas. That according to the Department of Homeland Security in a report released on Tuesday. The DHS determined that 7,100 people who entered the country by air or sea overstayed their visas between October of 2016 and September of 2017. Overall, an estimated 40 percent of the roughly 11 million people in the country illegally stayed past their visa. They arrived legally, overstaying, making their stay illegal. Well, the total number of overstays is much larger, but has not been quantified because it doesn't include how many people arrive by land. And the Trump administration has finalized a set of tariffs against an additional $16 billion in Chinese goods. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office announced on Tuesday the 25 percent import duties will take effect beginning the 23rd of this month when uh, customs will begin collecting tariffs on 279 product lines. The U.S. has already slapped China with tariffs on $34 billion uh, worth of uh, goods. And Beijing responded with tariffs of equal value when the levies uh, kicked in last month. China has said it would respond again with its own tariffs in an ongoing tit-for-tat trade dispute between the world's two largest economies. We'll see who blinks first. 
Jim Brown, Hall of Fame running back and civil rights champion, said Tuesday that he would always stand for the Star Spangled Banner and would prefer if players would, too. Brown is 82. He spoke before the HBO premiere of Hard Knocks, saying, I'll never kneel and I will always respect the flag. I'm not going to denigrate my flag and I'm I'm going to stand for the national anthem, he said. I'm fighting with all of my strength to make it a better country, but I don't think that's the issue. Because what is at the top side? Are you not going to stand up? This is our country, man. And while Brown said he preferred if players would stand for the national anthem, he also respected the players' right to do what they want, even if it is to kneel. And on this day in 1974, President Richard Nixon, facing damaging new revelations in the Watergate scandal, announced his resignation. And on this day in 2009, Sonia Sotomayor is sworn in as the U.S. Supreme Court's first Hispanic and third female justice. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we're going to talk with retired senior. Hey, we're back 20 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stick around because uh, retired senior judge Tom Cole will join us. He, along with uh, Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel and founded a ministry paid in full. They are members of a of a sad fraternity of fathers who have lost their daughters to violent crime. We're going to talk about this prison ministry that reflects the grace of God that each of them has experienced um, being extended to those who are um, have been convicted of crimes violent and otherwise. Uh, Judge Tom Cole joining us a bit later. We're also going to talk about a uh, recent 500-mile walk he engaged in. was something of a uh, pilgrimage. We'll give him an opportunity to talk about that, why he did it, and what, uh, uh, what happened along the way. Well, a just-released uh, Investor's Business Daily tip poll shows big gains in key sentiment indicators. Given the pervasive negativity in the media these days, you might doubt these positive polling numbers. If so, you have... Um, you have to look at the economy. What it comes to, uh, or rather, when it comes to President Trump and the national mood, something seems to have happened in recent weeks, as shown by this uh, poll of some 900 people. Pretty small sampling when you think about it. But anyway, it was taken between the 26th of July and the 2nd of August. Keep in mind that anything over 50 is optimistic, under 50 pessimistic. Uh, start with the uh, president's leadership index, which uh, jumped 3.2 percentage points in August to 45.7, the highest level since the president's first full month in office. Equally important, the direction of the country index, which gauges how Americans feel about our nation's current course, surged 13 percentage points points to 50.1 in August. That's the highest level since 2005. Then there's uh, the proprietary quality of life index, rather. Uh, It rose 7% for the month uh, to 64.2%. This is the highest ever, eclipsing the previous high of 63.1 set way back in 2004. We could go on, but uh, you get the idea. The poll based on indicators measuring how people feel about things has moved up sharply, putting simply, or rather put simply, people feel better about the country than they have in years, even decades. Uh, look no further than a Friday's jobs report, if in fact you found a place that actually reported it. Another sign the economy is firing on all cylinders. Now that could, of course, change uh, very quickly, but that's uh, the number as of this poll at this time.
Well, buoyed by a dramatic last-minute rally by the president, Republican State Senator Troy Balderson appeared to be inching closer to bearing back a challenge by insurgent Democrat Danny O'Connor in Ohio's special election for a vacant House seat on Tuesday. The victory in the race is for Ohio's historically conservative 12th congressional district would deny Democrats the major upset they had sought ahead of the November midterm elections. Uh, the winner takes the seat previously held by Republican Pat to Iberi, uh, who resigned in January to take another job. Speaking to uh, cheering supporters last night, Balderson said O'Connor ran a hard race and claimed victory. And in a tweet last night, the president wrote that Balderson had won a great victory during a very tough time of year for voting. He's a course, referring to the fact that it's a special election in August. Lots of people are gone. Some 30 percent by uh, accounts that I've seen thus far of Republicans participated, 90 percent of Democrats in this 35 plus year district held by um, Republicans. Now, November, uh, it's a midterm election. Those numbers will likely be very different. People are at home. It's a regular election. So we'll see what happens next because this same pair will face off in November for that seat. The election yesterday was just to fulfill the term of the uh, vacating uh, representative. Republican, uh, well, well, we'll skip that for now. Across the country, far left progressives and Democratic socialists suffered rather divisive uh, decide. I can't even speak. Uh, uh, decisive electoral defeats in last night's primary, despite high profile barnstorming efforts by left leaning leaders like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, the routes were assigned not only uh, that Ocasio-Cortez and Sanders may lack the star power necessary to bolster candidates, but also the national enthusiasm for socialism is generally weak in the United States. Uh, economy uh, posts strong unemployment numbers and sustained growth, a bad time to be a socialist campaigning, I suppose. Earlier this month, former President Barack Obama pointedly declined to endorse Ocasio-Cortez, a Democratic socialist candidate in New York's 14th congressional district, a snub that underscored the challenges facing progressives campaigning to the left of the Democratic Party's establishment in hopes of taking their views mainstream. And in Missouri, voters rejected right-to-work law uh, that was proposed in a rare win for unions. The national push to check union power was uh, dealt a a, a rare blow last night when voters in Missouri rejected a right-to-work law that would have uh, prevented private sector unions from collecting compulsory fees from workers who do not join. The law was defeated by a two-to-one margin and came after unions had secured a referendum on the measure signed into law by then-Governor Eric Greitens in February of 2017. Unions immediately cheered the result on Tuesday, which comes as a relief to big labor as a break from a series of blows to union power. Now, how long they can hold on to that, given the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court recently, remains to be seen. But... Saying this, the AFL-CIO president, Richard Trumka, in a statement, the defeat of this uh, poisonous anti-worker legislation is a victory for all workers across the country, except for those workers who don't want to be a part of the union and still work. Well, the victory in Missouri follows a national wave of inspiring activism that is leading to life-changing collective bargaining agreements and electoral triumphs that remind America the path to power runs through the labor movement, he said. Well, the result was also hailed by left-wing Senator Bernie Sanders, no surprise. There, The referendum comes on the heels of that Supreme Court Janus decision that dealt a significant blow to unions by ruling that government workers can't be forced to pay union fees for 
collective bargaining. Missouri's law would have extended protection to all private sector employees. A number of states have previously brought in right-to-work laws despite a fierce opposition from union leaders. And since 2012, five strong union states, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, West Virginia, and Kentucky, have adopted right-to-work laws, bringing the total of right-to-work states to 27. Russia. They used chemical or biological weapons to try to assassinate a former British spy, the U.S. said on Wednesday, adding that new sanctions would be imposed on the country for that attack. Following the use of the Novichok nerve agent in an attempt to assassinate a United uh, United, uh, Kingdom citizen, And his uh, daughter, um, uh, the United States, on August the 6th, 2018, determined under the Chemical and Biological Weapons Control and Warfare Elimination Act of 1991 uh, that um, uh, this was a violation of that act. The State Department, in a statement, said uh, that they are prepared to impose the government of uh, the Russian Federation has used these weapons and the U.S. government is prepared to impose uh, impose sanctions. Following a 15-day congressional notification period, these sanctions will take effect upon publication of a notice in the Federal Register expected on or around the 22nd of this month, d- the department continued. The sanctions will be applied against all Russian state-owned enterprises, a senior State Department official says, adding that around 70 percent of the the Russian economy uh, would be affected, influencing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of trade. Both the Russian government and U.S. allies are formally informed of that decision to impose the sanctions today, the official went on to say. Meanwhile, the U.S. campaign to rein in Iran from uh, has scored a victory in the German financial sector after the Deutsche uh, Bundesbank, the country's central bank, imposed a rule stopping a $400 million cash delivery to Tehran. Iran's cash-starved economy desperately needs hard currency ahead of the crippling U.S. bank sanctions that will be introduced in November. Germany allowed the Iranian-owned European-Iranian Trade Bank to operate in Hamburg. The EIH uh, holds more than $400 million that Tehran wants to receive in cash ahead of a second wave of U.S. sanctions due in November that impact uh, banks and Iran's energy sector. Uh, the uh, European Union previously sanctioned the EIH for its role in, in, in advancing Iran's nuclear and missile programs, the U.S. and the European Union together. The sanctions on the EIH were lifted after the world powers reached an agreement to curb Iran's nuclear program in 2015. But President Trump effectively tore up the uh, decaying and rotten deal in May and vowed to impose greater sanctions on the regime, which he is now in the process of doing. The disclosure in July that German Chancellor Angela Merkel's government was seeking to circumvent the pending sanctions triggered the U.S. ambassador to Germany to urge her government to stop the massive Uh, Payment transfer. We are grateful to our German partners for recognizing the need to act. Iran's malign activity throughout Europe um, are a growing concern. The U.S. ambassador to Berlin says uh, he is a former uh, contributor to Fox News. He led the campaign to persuade German authorities to prevent the cash transfer, which has now been confirmed successful. And a United Nations human rights expert is under fire after suggesting Israel could have uh, its membership status at the world body suspended over alleged violations of international law. Michael Link, the special rapporteur for human rights in the uh, Pakistanian uh, territories, made the remarks as a side event, or rather at a side event, during a July session of the Human Rights Council, the controversial panel the U.S. withdrew from last month. Adi of the event, Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territory, Systematic Violations with Impunity, was obtained uh, by the media for, from 
uh, rather NGO Monitor, a Jerusalem-based research institute analyzing non-governmental organizations claiming to advance humanitarian agendas. In that audio, Link describes Israel as an illegal occupant and says the international community has not simply the ability, but also the responsibility and obligation to bring settlements to an end. He then goes on to say that there are a number of tools that the international community can use to bring Israel back in line. He has uh, since been blasted for floating Israel's suspension from that world body. Well, coming up, I'm looking forward to a conversation with uh, retired uh, senior judge Tom Cole. He and Pastor Rich Jones have founded a ministry called Paid in Full. It really is the work born out of significant pain and loss. Each of them, fathers, lost their daughters to violent crime. We're going to talk about this ministry to prison inmates here in the state of Oregon, so stay with us. We're also going to talk about a 500-mile walk he took back in early spring. It's the El Camino hike. We'll talk more about that, why he did it, and what difference did it make. So that's coming up later in today's program as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty thrilled about my next guest, uh, Washington County Judge uh, Tom Cole. He's a, a retired judge, but you're a senior judge. Is that, senior judge now. Which means you still work at it, but just not as frequently. I get assigned out uh, seven weeks a year. So you're still a judge, but you're a retired judge yes. still working. Yes. <laughs> explain. My husband worked in the court system, so I get that. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, many of our listeners don't. Um, Mr. Judge Cole is a member of a fraternity of fathers who lost their daughters um, to violent crime. And it's not a fraternity any man wants to be a part of. Uh, Megan, his daughter, was violently killed in Gladstone some years ago. And you wrote a book on that subject. You and I talked about it. Uh, some time ago as well. Rich Joan, who is also a member of that fraternity, the two of you got together and you established a ministry that I think would be surprising to many people looking on because our natural response to experiencing the fallout from a from a a violent crime that takes a family member away is for there to be a, a root of bitterness and hatred that prevents you from seeing the perpetrator as anything other than someone who should suffer and die for the crimes they've committed. Tell us a little bit about your odyssey, because this is a different turn to the story than uh, one might expect. Yeah, it's a continuing saga of how God can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. Uh, so uh, I, was, I became a judge in 1997, and then in 2006, that's when my daughter, uh, Megan, was murdered. And that's probably one of the darkest moments mm. of my life uh, when you go through something like that. Uh, fortunately, I was able to turn to God and seek his comfort and, 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 and just his healing. And so he led me through that process. And in the end, uh, he enabled me to forgive the man who murdered my daughter, who was caught about a year after the murder was committed. Um, the man was sentenced uh, to life in prison uh, and without the possibility of parole here in Oregon. And uh, I felt that God wanted me to write a story about that. Uh, and so I began writing a book, uh, talking about the, the loss of my daughter and how God had given me forgiveness. I mean, God, 
allowed me to forgive this man before I even knew who he was, before I even knew his name. And that was just an amazing process to go through. I mean, I just didn't have any bitterness or anger or resentment. That's very, very unusual in mm-hmm. a situation like that. But God really protected me there. So I started writing the book and uh, I thought I was done. And then I sensed God wanted me to do one more thing. He wanted me to go visit. Uh, his first name is Robert uh, in mm-hmm. prison. And so I did. I was able to visit him and share the gospel with him. And then I finished the book. I thought... I was writing the book for parents who had lost loved ones by a tragedy. Uh, I was, but God also used that book to open the door for me to go in and speak in prisons here in Oregon. I remember you um, spoke about that meeting with the man who took your daughter's life and how surprised he was by the fact that you wanted to meet him, but for a very different reason that he might have anticipated. There was not... Uh, vengeance there. He he couldn't believe that you would want to uh, to extend grace to him. Yeah, it was a really uh, very, very unique meeting. Um, I really didn't plan on what I was going to say to him. I was just praying to God that God would prepare my heart and prepare his heart for that time. We had uh, one hour together. And so uh, we started, uh, they brought him into the conference room where we were meeting. Uh, there was a guard there and, and somebody else. And so I just started asking him questions uh, about, you know, who he was, asked him to tell me his story a little bit. And we talked some more and I looked up at the clock and it was like, uh, we had been five minutes into the conversation. I still had 55 minutes to go. And I'm thinking, what am I going to talk mm-hmm. about now? Uh, well, I talked for another 10 minutes and then I was, I was emotionally exhausted. And so I stopped talking and I looked at, looked at Robert and I said, Robert, do you have any questions for me? And he bowed his head and started to cry. And he said, Judge, how can you be so kind to me? And at that point, I knew that that was the moment I would share the good news of Jesus Christ with him and tell him that it wasn't me, but it was Jesus Christ who was so kind. Uh, And so the next 45 minutes went by in a flash, and I was able to pray with Robert Mm. at the end. I don't know uh, what prison he's in these days, uh, but uh, I, I had one communication with him after that, and that was it. So... I started to speak in Oregon prisons to uh, both the one Oregon women's prison and then several of the other men's prisons about Jesus Christ and forgiveness. And for inmates to hear a sitting judge coming in and talking about forgiveness and Jesus Christ was a powerful story for them to hear, to know that, that they also had that opportunity to be forgiven and they had been forgiven by Jesus. Uh, so I traveled around the state and then I started traveling uh, to different states and traveled around the country speaking about uh, uh, that topic. I eventually went to a prison in Louisiana called Angola Prison, and that's where God really uh, birthed this this uh, nonprofit that we started uh, called Paid in Full Oregon. When I was there, uh, I had heard about Angola before, and I had heard that it was one of the most violent, bloodiest prisons. That's how the- most people have heard yeah. about Angola. Yeah, and so it, that was actually, a, that was a fact. In one year, I think uh, 20 men were murdered in that prison. So it's a it's a big prison in Louisiana. It sits on 18,000 acres. I had contacted the warden there and asked if I could come and speak to the men. He said yes, and so I, I went down there and actually saw firsthand uh, what had happened with what the warden did there. And what the warden did is he invited the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary 
to come in and set up a four-year seminary program for the inmates there. That four-year degree was just like any other degree that any student would get outside of prison. It had the same, same accreditation. And so what happened is the inmates, uh, as they were studying the Bible, as they were studying theology, they got captured by Jesus. And so that whole uh, uh, class that started in 1995 and then graduated in 1999 were sent back into the prison system again. I mean, they were still in the prison system, but they were back as inmate pastors, they called them then. And they started to minister to men there, to counsel men, uh, to lead Bible studies in prison. And so the whole culture of the prison in Louisiana, Angola prison, began to change. And uh, it was remarkable uh, as to what happened uh, there. Oh, absolutely remarkable. In fact, I think we interviewed uh, with you um, one of the men who came out of that, uh, that experience. Now, let's just trace the trajectory of, of where you have come. You're appointed to serve as a judge in Washington County here in the state of Oregon. You serve as a judge. Your daughter is, is murdered. Um, a year later, they discover who the person was responsible for that. You have a an encounter with that. You arranged to talk with him and had a, an encounter where not only did this young man meet with you, but had an, an opportunity to have an encounter with Christ. And you began speaking around the state of Oregon, then across the country. And one would think, boy, that's a great ending to this story. That, that, that Boy, well, that's a real inspiration. And yet there's more work for you to do. And that's really the explanation of paid in full what you experienced at Angola, you're now going to initiate uh, in, in place here in, in the state of Oregon. Yeah, and so what happened is I was uh, in Angola uh, in June of 2014, and that was about my second or third trip down there. And I was just finishing up. I was coming back home, and I met with Warden Kane there. And so before I left his office, I asked the warden uh, if I could pray for him, and he said yes. And so I prayed for him. And then I got up to leave, and the warden said, no, 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 judge, sit down. I want to pray for you. And so when you're in Angola prison and the warden tells you to sit down, you sit down. And, <laughs> yes. and when he tells you to bow your head, you bow your head and close your eyes. You know, you close your eyes. So this was the warden's prayer. He said, dear Lord, don't let this man rest until he gets a Bible college in the Oregon Department of Corrections. <laughs> and, and amen. You know, so I look up at him and I say, you know, you don't know how impossible that is, right? You, you, Warden, you don't know how impossible that's going to be. And so uh, he said, well, you know, I have faith in God. You know, so that was his response. And so anyway, uh, I came back to Oregon with that prayer that the warden prayed for me on my heart. I couldn't sleep at all. I haven't slept since then. <laughs> but that, No, I'm just kidding about that. But so, so I came back, and one of the first things I did is I called and and. Uh, to meet with the, the director of the Oregon Department of Corrections, Colette Peters. And so I had a chance to meet with her and talk to her about the change that had happened in Angola prison. Obviously, she knew of Angola also. And I asked her if she'd be interested in sending one of her people down to Angola to, to, on a field trip just to kind of get a eyes-on, hands-on mm-hmm. look at what it, how, how it had changed down there. And to my surprise... Probably not to her surprise, she said yes, and so she authorized one of her people to go. And then I started contacting other people in the state of Oregon and ended up uh, talking with two state senators who who agreed to go, two state representatives who agreed to go. Uh, The attorney general's office wanted to send one of their representatives down also in the Criminal Justice Commission. So in January of 2015, uh, we had a field trip uh, to Angola Prison. 
And it's an interesting number. The, the total number of people on that field trip was 12. And so, 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 uh, it was just, a, it was a remarkable experience. And, and, uh, 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 we went down there and we spent four days there and it probably, I think had a huge impact on all the people who were there because they just couldn't believe what they were hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the seminary students and the seminary graduates that we were running into were talking about when they were in New Orleans committing or Baton Rouge committing crimes and doing drugs, they really were prisoners, but it wasn't until they were sentenced to Angola prison when they became free, when they started, <laughs> when, when they got into the seminary. We're going to pick up uh, where you left off here in just a moment. I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Washington County Judge Tom Cole. He's a senior judge, retired. Uh, Paid in Full is the name of the ministry. We want to tell you more about it, not just so that you can be well-informed, but also to give you some direction on how you can support this uh, ministry. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. With me in studio, Senior Judge Tom Cole. He is the co-founder of a ministry paid in full that you need to be uh, made aware of. Just before the break, you were talking about a fact uh, the fact that a group of Oregon lawmakers and those involved in the criminal justice system uh, traveled with you to Angola, much to your surprise. And much to their surprise, learned a great deal about the transformation uh, that occurred in Angola and the story behind it. Yes, and so they were able to see firsthand, uh, just and talk with some of the the uh, inmates that were there, uh, some of the students in the seminary and some of the graduates, and I think they were probably astounded at how well spoken they were, how how articulate the, those men were, and how passionate they were about the the program that they were were involved in. We stayed there for four days, also, and we came back, and it was kind of the talk of the town in in Salem. Um, when they got back, and uh, then I just you know I didn't hear much about it, but my I was it, God was just sort of leading my steps, and I was meeting people and talking to people, and uh, talked to a couple of universities about the possibility of putting an extension in one of the prisons mm-hmm. in Oregon, and then in 2016, uh, January 1st, 2016 is when I retired. Uh, I was on a retirement vacation with my wife Julie. And uh, we were in Costa Rica, and I got an email from a friend of mine uh, who said, Tom, uh, the Department of Corrections is interested in putting a uh, faith-based university in one of the prisons in Oregon. I could not get back to the United States quick enough to start working on, uh, once again, on that project. And so I got back, and I started meeting with some people from different universities. Um, We ended up uh, meeting with... uh, Sheldon Nord, who's the president of Corbin University, and uh, there was some interest there, and so we continued to meet with him and one of his uh, provosts there, Matt Lucas. Uh, Matt's no longer with Corbin University, but they have a new provost there by the name of Mike Patterson. So uh, we started talking with them about that possibility, and they were interested in putting an extension of Corbin uh, into uh, the Department of Corrections. Uh, the Department of Corrections uh, had had 
unbeknownst to me, they had actually uh, uh, designated a building, uh, a classroom building uh, at the Oregon State Correctional Institution, which is one of 14 prisons in, in Oregon. It uh, is located just southeast of Salem as you're leaving town, mm-hmm. uh, going towards Detroit Lake. It's on your right-hand side, about two or three miles out of town. That's OSCI. Uh, that has a capacity of right around 850 or 900 inmates. It's a medium security, minimum security prison. And the DOC told us uh, that that is where they would like to have the classroom for the Corbin extension there. So was able to go visit that. It, it's a three, about a 3,000 square foot building, uh, and it's an older building. I think it was constructed uh, 20 or 30 years ago, or maybe even longer than that. And so the good news is uh, the DOC said, that's your building. You can have that for your program. Uh, the bad news is uh, we have to remodel it. <laughs> and, and so that's going to be expensive because there's some asbestos in it. Mm. Uh, we need to bring some water sprinkling system, water sprinkling system into it. And a lot of other mechanical engineering, plumbing sorts of things need to be done. The initial estimate for the cost of that remodel was over $600,000. And so uh, that was really kind of, you know, it was shocking to us that it was that high. But, you know, the costs of remodel an older building like yes. that are, are, are not uh, inexpensive. So uh, anyway, so we began the process of uh, taking a look at that. Uh, we actually have now retained an architect uh, for paid in full organized, retain, retained an architect uh, to uh, prepare plans uh, for the remodel of that building. And... Uh, so that's kind of where we are with with that uh, 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 with that process right now. The architect will prepare those plans, and then they will he will uh, give those plans to the state. The state will then have to go through the process of putting those plans out for public bid. And at that point, then we'll have a fairly good uh, number on what it's going to cost to to remodel uh, the uh, the building that they've given us. So we are just thrilled that they've given us a building. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, on behalf of Paid in Full Oregon, I signed a memorandum of understanding outlining what our responsibilities are and what the Department of Corrections responsibilities are. So that further cements that relationship between Paid in Full Oregon and the Department of Corrections. Uh, we are going to be entering into a funding agreement with Corbin University. We're going to reimburse Corbin uh, all the costs associated with putting their professors and give, giving the men an accredited degree, four-year degree, in the uh, uh, Oregon State Prison System. So we want to make sure we we want to make sure we totally fund that. So Corbin mm-hmm. isn't out any costs. Uh, we want to make sure we totally fund it. So the Department of Corrections is not out any costs. Uh, we want we want to be responsible for the entire funding of that uh, that project. Now, I introduced you earlier as retired Judge <laughs> Tom Cole. What you've just described is not a retirement plan, but you are working very heavily along with your the co-founder, uh, Pastor Rich, yeah. to move this project forward. I, I don't consider it retirement. I consider it redeployment. There you go. <laughs> 
That's the right word to describe it. We're going to take a break here at the top of the hour, but we're going to continue our, our conversation. Paid in Full is the ministry. And by the way, you can go to the website, paidinfull.org, for more information. There's also an opportunity to attend their first fundraising event. We'll give you details on that after news and traffic here at the top of the hour. And uh, you'll be excited to hear who the speaker will be on October 11th. So we'll give you more details on that. We're also going to talk more about a pilgrimage uh, that Judge Cole took this spring. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, News and Traffic, up next. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. I'm continuing a conversation we began in the previous hour with uh, Judge Tom Cole. He is uh, retired, but he, along with Rich Jones, pastor of um, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, are the founders of Paid in Full. As you might uh, recall, both men, fathers, lost their daughters to violent crime, and they, having experienced the grace of God, are now extending that grace to those who are incarcerated in the state of Oregon. And that is what Paid in Full uh, represents, a, an extension of hope through education to these uh, to these men. Now, I, I mentioned at the, at the top of our conversation in the last hour that uh, both you and Rich Jones are part of a fraternity that neither of you would like to have been a part of. Tell us a little bit about how the two of you came together uh, to form this ministry. Yeah, Rich was uh, my pastor back in uh, uh, 2000 when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Rich actually married my wife and I, and then he baptized me a couple of years later. Uh, fast forward a little after that, Julie, my wife and I were going to a different church. Rich's church was really growing fast, and we wanted to get into a smaller church, so we did that. Um, then in on August 19th of 2014, I saw in the paper that Rich's daughter had also been murdered, and so I immediately contacted Rich, and we got together, and I was able to talk to him about, you know, about the, the idea mm -hmm. of, uh, of what was going on. I had lost my daughter, and so we shared that common, common, commonality. And so uh, we were able, I was able to minister to Rich, and, and, and Rich was able to understand a little bit about the, the, the legal system as he was going through that with the, with the man who was charged with the murder of his daughter. So Rich came on board when we started uh, Paid in Full, and now we are at a situation where where we are going to be turning the pain that both of us had into a purpose now we're going to be we're going to be that purpose is going to be setting up this four year degree program at o s c i The men who are going to be attending that our first class is expected in September of two thousand nineteen uh the Eligibility requirements are we're going men are going to have to have at least eight years left in their prison sentence they have to have uh, high school or GED equivalent degree, and they have to have a clean disciplinary record for the year before they apply. Uh, the reason we want eight years left in their prison sentence is we want them to give back to the prison system after they graduate. We want them to mentor and counsel uh, other inmates that are in the prison. We want them to help uh, with the chaplains with some of the duties they have there. We want them to have cell-to-cell -cell conversations. We want them to uh, help on suicide watches. We want to help uh, them with some of the programs, other programs they have, 
at, uh, at the Oregon prison system, including the gang renunciation. So these are all the things that we want to see those men who get a four-year college degree, we want them to give back for at mm-hmm. least four years after they've, they've been involved in the program. Uh, these men are going to be, our goal is to have them, is to see them spiritually transformed so that they can become leaders in the prison system. One of the things that prisoners know is they they can smell hypocrisy mm. a, a mile away. And so when I go there and minister to men or with other, when other volunteers go there and minister to men or women in the prison system, uh, we're there for a couple of hours and then we leave and we come home to our comfortable homes and we go to bed in our own beds. Uh, the men who are in college are going to be living with them 24-7. And so they're going to have to be really good examples of what it's like uh, to have that transformation. The degree that we're offering, uh, that Corbin will be offering, is a uh, Bachelor of Science degree in psychology with a minor in theology. So these men are going to be studying not only uh, arts and sciences, but they're going to be studying the Bible. Uh, There will be no requirement as far as... uh, religion or anything when they apply for the program. We don't, we, we're not allowed to do that and we mm-hmm. won't do that. So you can have Muslims applying, Hindus, uh, Christians, Jews, you can have agnostics, uh, you can have atheists applying. There's, they're, 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 it's open to everybody. And so we will get feedback from chaplain's assistant or from chaplains. We'll get feedback from superintendents. We'll get feed, feedback from some of the guards in the systems all over Oregon as to who qualified people may be. Uh, the the uh, Department of Corrections will be the gatekeeper. They'll screen out uh, people and they'll screen in people that they think are qualified. Corbin will get involved in interviewing uh, those candidates. And so our first class will consist of 25 men. Uh, and that's what we hoped. Uh, we hope to start in September of 2019. Well, that's that's really exciting, and it's a well-thought-through program. You've seen what's happened in other places where they've had significant problems with uh, with inmates, and to consider that that's going to be a program we're going to see here in the state of Oregon. What do you what do you imagine um, the impact this will be here in the state of Oregon in our um, our system, where these twenty five for the next four years, or beginning in twenty nineteen. Uh, have an opportunity to sit down, and along with their other broader studies, they're going to be focusing on theology and the Bible. Well, we hope that uh, they're going to get caught. <laughs> we <laughs> hope they're going to get caught by Jesus. We hope that they'll be able to go back. So the the idea would be to send them out to the re- other prisons that are in the state of Oregon as like missionaries uh, to in groups of four or six uh, or some number like that, and actually go into those prisons and uh, like I talked about before, mentor, console, uh, and just share life with uh, uh, the uh, their fellow inmates and be servant leaders. I mean, that's what we expect out of them. The And then when they finally, when they get out of prison, so they go back to their neighborhoods, they're released back to their communities. They don't go back to their communities with a nine millimeter handgun, you know, in their hand, but they go back with a, with a, with an accredited four year college degree, uh, in their hand, or they go back with a Bible in their hand. And what a huge difference that is going to make to the communities. We may not see the results of this until that point when they're finally released and back into society again. But our, the state of Oregon is going to be blessed by these men that are coming out of prison with college degrees. And then while they're in prison, while they're studying for their college degrees, they have families, they have sons and daughters that are out in the free world. And their sons and daughters and, and their wives and spouses and, you know, 
uh, and family members, they're going to be able, they're, they're going to have something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're here, their loved one in prison is in college, actually earning a four-year college degree while he's, while he's in college. And so I think it's going to have impact on the community even before these men get out of prison. Well, the the natural uh, follow-up question is, what can we do? There's a lot of discussion these days about prison reform, but what you're describing is transformation. It goes beyond reform, and maybe those other issues need to be addressed as well. But this is a program that really focuses on the hearts of the individuals who are part of this this program. What can we do to come alongside you? Obviously, we need to begin to pray. How should we do that, and what other things can we help provide for in developing this ministry? That's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Prayer is probably one of the most important things that can happen. We pray that God continues to open these doors to allow this program to go continue to go forward. Uh, we, we need prayer for raising the capital funds that are going to be necessary to do the remodel. And that could be anywhere from the high 300s to the low 500,000 uh, range. We don't know until we'll, we send that out for bid. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need that money right up front uh, to do the repairs and remodel that's necessary. We also have a a uh, sustainability plan. Uh, Rich and Rich and I came up with a sustainability plan to continue the operation indefinitely. Our sustainability plan is really simple. We want one thousand people to donate twenty five dollars a month, and we would like to have two hundred and fifty churches donate $100 a month out of their mission funds. Those numbers are very small. Very modest. And if we get that type of support in our program, that those type of numbers, uh, we will be able to sustain this program forever. Or, you know, and, 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 and it's really, I mean, it's just really, you know, we're only asking for 25. I hope that people not only give 25, but they could give a little bit more of that too. So we're actually going to be, uh, we, we got our first donation, uh, our first major donation last week, uh, we received a uh, check in the amount of twenty thousand dollars. I was shocked. I, I, I broke into tears when I when I when I got the email from the person uh, who notified me that somebody's going to be sending us that check for twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's just amazing. Uh, we know God is behind this program. Uh, so so that's kind of where we are on that. Uh, we have a fundraiser coming up uh, in October, and our our our. First major fundraiser is going to be on October 11th, and our keynote speaker is going to be former NFL uh, head coach Joe Gibbs, who is a current NASCAR owner. He owns four NASCAR teams now. Uh, he's a he's an amazing uh, Christian man, and he has a great testimony. Uh, he will be coming into town to do what he calls his game plan for life, which is going to be in the morning on October 11th, and then he's going to stay over and, and be the keynote speaker at our uh, luncheon fundraiser. Uh, we hope to have maybe 200 people at the luncheon fundraiser and maybe close to uh, 700 to 800 uh, men and women in the, at the morning breakfast there. So we are excited that, that Coach Gibbs is going to be coming to town. And uh, we're just, I mean, you, you, you really, really couldn't pick out anybody better than <laughs> no, that. You sure, couldn't. So. Yeah. you sure couldn't. Yeah. Now, for listeners who are interested in attending and finding out more, uh, is there information on the website? We, we uh, don't have it on the website yet. Uh, uh, we are going to be contacting individuals. And, and, and of course, my, my email is... Uh, uh, Tom at paidinfulloregon.org, Tom at paidinfulloregon.org, and Rich's email is rich at paidinfulloregon.org. Now, we have a landing page website, 
uh, paidinfull.org. It's just a landing page right now. Our website is being developed by a, a website team. Uh, but there is a donate button there. If somebody would go to that website, uh, you can donate it, push, push the donate uh, button, and it's a PayPal uh, setup right now. You can do a monthly contribution or you can do a one-time uh, contribution. So uh, that's where we are right now on that. We're going to be developing a, a social media plan. Uh, we have somebody that's volunteered to help us there. Uh, we've, we've had, it's, been, it's been amazing what God has done so far on this. He's already, one man from California gave us his uh, uh, library, which consists of 3,500 volumes of theological works. And, oh my goodness. <laughs> and he just gave it to us. Uh, there's an organization called Logos, uh, which is a, a software company that uh, provides research materials for Christian colleges, and uh, it generally costs thousands of dollars. They have agreed to give us give give paid in full uh, their software program for free. And in addition to that, they're giving us money to help pay for tablets uh, for the men that are going to oh, be in our goodness. first class. We need things like computers. Uh, we need twenty five computers. Uh, we need those twenty five tablets. Uh, the Department of Corrections, uh, they actually make furniture, so they're going to be providing the desks and the library shelves and the chairs uh, in that uh, facility. So we're just excited about how all, all this is coming together, and uh, we just, you know, we thank God for what he's done, and it's just, it's, just, it's going to be amazing what he will do uh, with this project. We're going to continue our conversation, but we do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with retired Judge Tom Cole, who's uh, what is the word that you used? Um, repurposed? I've been re- re- redeployed, <laughs> redeployed or repurposed. <laughs> that would be good, too. <laughs> Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Thanks. That guy. Hey, we are back 24 minutes after 5 o'clock. That evil James Blend informed us that we went long on virtually every segment we were talking today. So we only have about seven or eight minutes. So I'm going to ask you back to talk about El Camino, uh, which is an extraordinary hike you took. It's about 500 miles. And you, um, in your email to me, pointed out that that's like walking from Portland to Boise, Idaho. And then you add 70 miles. Yeah. So this And this the terrain is... Uh, pretty challenging uh, as well. So I'd love to spend sufficient time talking about that pilgrimage that you took. Yeah, and I had a fantastic blister. I think I showed you a picture of that earlier today. Wasn't that a beautiful blister? You did have a, <laughs> an extraordinary blister that I'm glad our listeners can <laughs> see. Radio, yeah. You can just use your imagination. Yeah. But we'll talk about that another time because I want to take more time than what we have left okay. uh, to talk about that odyssey of yours. Uh, but we've been talking about paid in full, and this is a, a ministry that really... Uh, requires just rank and file folks like you and me who have, you know, $25 a month that you can say, you know what, Um, I'm concerned about crime. I'm concerned about the prison system. I want to do something significant. I'm also a follower of Jesus, and I want to have an impact on the culture that goes beyond just what government can do uh, by itself. And uh, paid in full is an opportunity for us to really extend the love of Christ into the prison system, to to express the value that these, uh, in this first instance, that these men have in the eyes of Christ and to, to provide for them a season of hope. So the idea that $25 a month from 1,000 of us would help to underwrite this on a long-term basis, I mean, that's eminently doable. Yes, it is. And, and 
you mentioned hope and and uh, Burl Kane, uh, the retired warden in Angola. One of the one of the quotes I, I remember from Burl is that uh, the greatest enemy of an inmate in prison is lack of hope. Hmm. And, and I think that you know that's that's the key. We're we're there. Uh, paid in full, Oregon is there. Corbin is there. Uh, to provide hope to the inmates that are there. And that will just, hope in and of itself is going to change so many things for the men uh, there at uh, Oregon, in the Oregon prison system. And I want to mention something about the women too, because, um, you know, there there is only one woman's uh, uh, seminary in the country right now, and it's in Louisiana. In Oregon, we don't have generally the time of, 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 of a woman's sentence is, is Less than less than five years, less than four years, I think would probably be more accurate. And so that does not give us enough time mm. to pro- provide a four-year college degree uh, for the women in the Oregon uh, state uh, prison system. So it's unfortunate, but this the, the numbers there just don't 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 uh, add up to the uh, the type of uh, program that we'd like to put there. Maybe someday we can do that. Who who knows? Maybe maybe we could put a two-year program mm-hmm. there or something like that. So. But right now, it's just it's it, the focus is on is on the men in the prison system. And what an impact uh, we have the potential to have! I love a quote that uh, you have said: "No amount of programs, discipline, or money can accomplish as much as a changing heart in an inmate's life." And we're talking about the opportunity for a, a changed heart. That when you're opening God's Word and studying what it has to say in the context of a of a broader education, the potential is just beyond imagining. Absolutely. We're talking about uh, reuniting families mm. in the future. Uh, we're talking about putting men back out in the community that uh, that are going to be honest uh, citizens who are working, who are taxpayers, who are going to be getting real jobs. Uh, and not, not necessarily, I mean, not only real jobs, but real jobs that can provide a family income with the bachelor of uh, science degree uh, that they're going to be receiving from Corbin University. Not to mention the investment that they'll make the four years after they've completed the program, ministering to fellow inmates back in that system. That is and priceless. That yeah. is absolutely yeah. priceless. As you pointed out, these are guys who have a common experience in that environment. And as we've seen in Angola, it has the capacity to to uh, you know exponentially impact other individual lives in that in that system. Absolutely, in the in the private industry or in, in the corporate world, uh, they use this term ROI, re- return of uh, return of investment, uh, and, and to sort of measure out what what how much money they get back or what that return is. In this type of program, in in paid in full Oregon, the return of investment uh, is. Is is it's you can't put a price on it. I mean, what? How can you put a price on something that changes somebody's heart from within? You just mm-hmm. can't put a price on it. The impact that it's going to have on the rest of the the inmates and the Oregon State Prison System. So I really, you know, I am so proud of our Department of Corrections. I'm so proud of Corbin Absolutely. University for their commitment to do something like this. Uh, it's it's not an easy thing for them to do, and and it's just it just you know warms my heart to see the Department of Corrections uh, embracing this program the way they're embracing it. I mean, we have we have a good prison system in Oregon. It's not that our prison system is bad. We have probably one of the best prison systems in the country here, but this is going to make it so much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, we want to encourage you to go to the website to learn more, uh, and that is, and I'm, I'm 
racing. Oh, paidinfulloregon.org is the website. I'll give you some basic information there. And if you'd like to be one of those long-term donors, you can find a a tab there that can allow you to do that. But just learn more. We're going to continue to follow the story of Paid in Full Oregon uh, as you're developing the facility that's necessary for this program uh, to move forward. And we would appreciate your keeping us updated as well so we can uh, keep listeners informed. And, and I appreciate you for having me on here. And I like the, the new word you've given me, repurposed. So <laughs> I, am, I am repurposed. <laughs> uh, Judge Cole, thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. Up next, we're going to talk with Tim Winter. He's the president of the Parents Television Council. You know, we have that rating system to help parents determine what's appropriate for their sons and daughters, for that matter, grandparents, their grandchildren. Well, there's an instance, well, it's occurring tonight, in which there's an attempt to waive that. And we'll give you all the details and why we need to be vigilant Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the movie titled Eighth Grade is a coming-of-age story, and uh, we're told it captures the experience of middle school in a true-to-life fashion. It deals with issues uh, of fitting in. Well, uh, it's the most painfully real middle school movie you'll ever see for free. That's according to USA Today, because there's going to be one free showing in 50 theaters, one in each state, tonight. Well, here to tell us about this R-rated movie to which eighth graders are invited without the benefit of the um, the rating that would otherwise prevent them from seeing the movie without a parent or guardian's approval. Tim Winter joins us. He's the president of the Parents Television Council. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Georgine. Good day to you and to your listeners from Hollywood. Well, eighth grade is the, the movie. First of all, tell us what you know about the movie itself. What we know about the movie itself is that it is produced originally crafted by a child uh, uh, child artist who felt that he wanted his story to be told about what eighth grade is really like. It includes uh, some some very graphic uh, depictions and descriptions, very profane language. And the idea is to, you know, it's really kind of a, a shock value to, to, uh, to, I guess, maybe fire a shot across about a parents about this is what real life is like today for, for eighth, grader, eighth graders uh, in middle school and the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's certainly something important to be taken away from, uh, from such a film. Unfortunately, uh, there are some who believe that this movie is too important for the Motion Picture Association's guidelines, the R and, T- and PG-13 and so forth, for the guidelines to apply to this film. We think that's a total end run on parental authority, and we're very concerned. Well, you mentioned this was a shot across the bow to parents to give them a glimpse of what eighth grade is like, not to eighth graders who apparently are already living through this. So they are waiving not just a a PG-13, but an R rating and inviting eighth graders to attend on their own uh, for a premiere tonight. This is a stunt, as I mentioned, that's being uh, uh, allowed in all 50 states. Um, Now, what is uh, PTC? What are you asking uh, the Motion Picture Association to do with regard to this uh, decision to waive that rating that parents have come to rely on? The Motion Picture Association of America is the group that uh, 
uh, it's industry controlled, but it's supposed to be an independently operated group that applies the ratings to the movies, that allows parents to determine whether it's the material is appropriate for their children, for their family to go see. And even people who don't have children use these guidelines themselves to decide, is this a movie I want to uh, go see? And for, for different distributors and for, the, and for the production company to do an end run and decide that the MPAA guideline is not going to apply in this instance and to allow children of any age to go into the movie without an adult. Um, it's, it's a gross uh, violation of the, the spirit and the letter for which MPAA was created. We want the MPAA to hold accountable those who are going to uh, refuse to enforce the guidelines. They have, uh, they have um, you know, the industry behind them. They could uh, force the theaters uh, to, if they wanted to, to, uh, to abide. There's no legal authority for the government to step in here, but there is uh, authority within the industry itself and industry self-policing, and they could, if they wanted to, step in and force their distributors to uh, abide by the age restrictions uh, appropriate for this film. Well, in fact, they have uh, held off efforts to try to hold them accountable by government standards by saying, we're going to self-police, we're going to impose these standards, and you can trust us to oversee this, uh, this process. I should also mention that the movie that's now being offered to eighth graders, and I suppose any kid who wants to go see it, is that the movie is free. They don't even have to ask mom and dad or their guardian, I need the money to see the movie. They can simply go on their own without having to pay for it either. So this really is an end run around parental authority. And adults who would say, no, this is not appropriate. You may be living through this in the eighth grade, but this is not something that we approve of. Uh, and, and we uh, don't, uh, don't want to allow you to see the movie. That, that opportunity has been uh, taken away from parents or from adults. And what you said a moment ago, you use a term that I think is so appropriate. This is a stunt. It's a publicity stunt. And either, either a standard, a principle means something or it means nothing. And what, what, uh, what we see here is this is an attempt for the future of the MPAA guidelines to actually mean nothing, mm-hmm. to have no guidelines, restrictions whatsoever. And as you pointed out, they were put in place originally to thwart any government intervention into uh, and, and control of, of films, going back to the Hayes Code and so forth that we used to have you know, decades ago. Uh, this was something that Jack Valenti came up with to thwart any sort of government involvement and restriction uh, into films. It was supposed to be something that was self-policing and to work, and this is open defiance. This is, uh, you know, this, you know, I hate to use the word anarchy because it's that usually, cons- you know, used in a bigger context. Mm-hmm. But as it relates to a, 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 an age restriction and being able to control what what content your children are seeing, this is really an, att- an attempt to, uh, to to go into some sort of uh, uh, anti-parental anarchy by the uh, by the motion picture industry. And we're talking about an R-rated film that otherwise a minor age 17 and under would not be permitted without a parent or a guardian. Um, so this isn't even an MP13. This is for for 17 years and up. Um, at this point, obviously, we want to inform parents that this movie is not appropriate for eighth graders who are being encouraged to attend for free. But what do we hope to accomplish by bringing uh, this up to the public's attention? And how optimistic are you that the Motion Picture, uh, Picture Association of America is going to exact some sort of penalty uh, for, as we've both suggested, this stunt? Well, they will do nothing if they are not pressured by the public to do so. That's why our voice is so important in this matter. Um, the other thing is, you, you know, if, if 
studios are, if the distributors are looking at this as a way to make hopefully the first domino to fall mm -hmm. that eliminates any sort of age restrictions altogether, this is what they want to have happen. And if, and for responsible parents, responsible families, you know, they, tr they use these guidelines as, as a measure to determine where they're going to spend their money and what they're going to go see. Um, it's important for us as, as families to vote with our wallets about what we agree and disagree with. Um, if, if these, if these guidelines go away entirely, uh, it's going to be very difficult for mm -hmm. us to have any control over what our children and grandchildren are exposed to, what the messaging that is pouring into their brains and, and establishing, uh, you know, thwarting the, the efforts of, of parents to put in good values into the minds of their children. Well, it's an imperfect tool, but it's one that parents have used in their uh, their arsenal of trying to protect the innocence of their children. And if we lose this, then you, you lose a great deal in terms of trying to manage uh, what they are exposed to. What's the best thing for a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle listening today that's very concerned about this erosion and the potential that this incident uh, taking place at all 50 states, at least in one theater, uh, might do to this rating system? What's the best way for them to communicate their dissatisfaction uh, to the motion picture uh, Association of America? They, parents must realize that this is just one symptom of a much bigger disease, whereby rating systems across all forms of media, whether it's television, motion picture, music, you name it, more and more explicit content is being packaged in the form of something that is labeled as child-friendly when it's not and fed to our children. We have to stand up. We have to speak out. That's why the Parents Television Council is here. Please come to our website, sign up. It's free. Join, join our mailing list. Raise your voice. Join your voice to our choir because if we don't speak out loudly as a group, then uh, then heaven help us going forward with uh, with what our kids are going to be consuming. And the best way for them to communicate is on the website, parentstv.org? That's correct, parentstv.org. You can learn about uh, the programs of the PTC. You can learn about uh, how parents can be more informed about uh, explicit content that's being marketed to their children. And uh, join join the choir. Every voice matters. Hey, thank you so much for all that you do and your leadership in particular of the Parents Television Council. Thanks for talking well, thank with you, us. Thank you, Georgine. We appreciate your voice. Again, uh, that website is parentstv.org, and we're talking about a movie titled Eighth Grade, uh, and they are opening theaters up this evening all across the country, allowing eighth graders, and for that matter, any kid to uh, attend the movie without requiring a parent or guardian to accompany them, which the R rating would otherwise have required, um, because they say this is just too important to impose the uh, the stricture that the rating system um, uh, imposes. So this is, as was mentioned a moment ago, this is one effort to weaken that system, which is already uh, fairly weak. I mean, if you see what uh, what constitutes MP13, which is supposed to be appropriate for kids 13 and older, sometimes you have to scratch your head and think, really, I'm not sure that that's the right way to uh, set a standard. But nonetheless, this is the system that we at least have. And to maintain that it's going to require vigilance on the part of uh, parents and, uh, and concerned adults. Again, parentstv.org. In addition to finding out about this particular uh, movie, it's probably too late to prevent it from opening in theaters. That's just not going to happen. But um, it, you certainly can communicate with MPAA, and Parents Television Council can help uh, make those connections. So check that out. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up.
We're back for our final segment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Now, James Blend, who is the engineer of this program and the producer, wears a number of hats here in the Salem Cluster. And uh, James, tell us a little bit about your other job. You're a husband and father and you're a friend and all of those things. But what's the other job that you have here that our listeners may not know about? Well, I'm the assistant program director for KPDQ AM and FM. Oh, wait, that's not the one you're referring to, are you? Well, you're that, but so much more. <laughs> <laughs> you are, of course, referring to what's coming up next weekend in, in uh, my role in Fish Fest. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, actually the ninth annual Fish Fest put on by our sister station, 104.1 The Fish. And, of course, uh, we have a number of stations here in Portland, all under the same little roof, a happy little family here, <laughs> and the fish being one of them. And every year we gather the listeners of The Fish at Riverfront Park in Salem, and we just have a good old day of music. Absolutely. Now, you might imagine you pick up the phone, you say, let's see, is Danny Gokey available? We're just going to you know, give him a call and say, hey, we got a, an event coming up. Uh, are you available to join us? It's on uh, August 18th at Riverfront Park in Salem, Oregon. And he says, oh, let me check my calendar. And he flips through and says, yeah, I'm available. What time do you want me to be there? It doesn't happen quite that way. This really is a job that begins for you the day after, actually a couple of days after, because you take a few days to recover. The day after yes Fish Fest, no. you begin preparing for Fish Fest 28, uh, 2019, the following year. I've actually been working on Fish Fest 2019 for Already. about four weeks. <laughs> wow. Um, so, so and and putting a, out offers to artists. Yeah, this is a big deal for you. It's a, it's a full-time job just to do that. Um, this year, uh, Oregon's largest Christian music festival features whom? Well, we've got at the very top of the list, we've got two awesome co-headliners, big fish favorites, and just kind of legends in their own right in contemporary Christian music. They've both been around for a really long time, and they remain relevant to the music scene. Uh, Newsboys and Jeremy you know, Camp. I have tried to subscribe to the Newsboys, and I, I can't find their uh, their website, their newspaper. I, I don't know. I just... Uh, I can't find it. From what I understand, it only costs $2, too, so really? that's pretty tough. <laughs> so the Newsboys and Jeremy Camp, they're your headliners. Who else you got? We got Danny Gokey, who you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, a group called Unspoken, um, a, a veteran fish artist, Josh Wilson, and a brand-new up-and-comer named uh, Tori Harper. And I've had a couple of dreams for Fish Fest over the years and things that I'd love to see, and we've managed to get some of them. Uh, one of them is I've always wanted to have a comedian at Fish Fest. Uh, a Christian well, if you comedian. Wanted me to come, why didn't you just ask? Because you always say no. <laughs> you wanted someone that's actually funny. That's what you're saying. That too. Oh well. And so Dustin Nickerson, who uh, was he- with us last year, he opened for Michael Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year he's opening for John Christ and a real up and comer in the Christian comedy circuit. And uh, he'll be kind of our MC and he'll do a set as well. But he'll do a little bit here and there throughout the day. And really looking forward to that because that 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 just adds a whole another. Element, yeah. especially because you know we have these set changes that go on in between bands, and sometimes it's a little long, sometimes it's a little boring, and uh, if you got a couple laughs in between, it goes faster. Now, you yourself are an up and coming comedian. We've talked about that before. Have you ever thought about performing at Fish Fest? Not at this point, no. Are you concerned about hecklers or one heckler in particular, a middle aged woman standing close to the front of the stage heckling your every word? While it I would assume that to be the case. No, that hadn't crossed my mind. (laughs) Well, it should, because I definitely would be there. I know. We're talking about Saturday, not this, but next Saturday, the 18th of August at Riverfront Park in Salem. Uh, It's presented by Lazy Boy Furniture and uh, sponsored by Compassion International, Pietro's Pizza, and For the King Apparel. Uh, Tickets. Tell us about tickets. Tickets are available right now online. Uh, If you go to fishfestportland.com. 
And you can also link from our website at kpdq.com as well to, to get to the Fish Fest tickets. Um, tickets start at very, we, we keep them very, very reasonably priced for uh, uh, the families that want to come in. And uh, if, you know, we can easily get a family of four in uh, very, very much under budget. And uh, But if you'd like a premium experience, those are available to you as well with uh, you know, the, the premium seating up front. Okay. When do the doors open and how long are we talking? Uh, shows should start in the 2 o'clock hour, usually uh-huh. between 2 and 2.30. Doors will usually open about uh, 12, 12.30, but uh, it doesn't usually stop people from getting in line since uh, if, uh, if you have those general mission tickets, it is first come, first serve. So uh, we'll start seeing people line up around 8 in the morning Wow! Uh, to get in at uh, between noon and 1. Okay. And it runs right up through the evening. It ends uh, pretty much is we we have a big what we like to call the hard curfew from the city of Salem. Um, so we always plan to end at nine thirty because the curfew is at ten, and usually we end at nine fifty nine. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Fish Fest Portland for twenty eighteen. You can go to fishfestpdx.com uh, for tickets and to find out more. But it's going to be a great lineup. Again, you've got the Newsboys, Jeremy Camp, the headliners, Danny Gokey, Unspoken. You've got uh, Tori Harper, Josh Wilson, and Dustin Nickerson is going to tie it all together as the comedian. And I'm thinking, James, you need to throw in a joke or two because you, you're, you're a funny guy and uh, you need to get your feet wet. I'll see if I can convince uh, Dustin to do one or two of my two of my materials. A little bit of your material. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get him to do that. We're, we're, we're tight. All right. Hey, I, should, <laughs> I should also mention uh, that there is Fish Fridays at Oaks Park, Oaks Amusement Park, as it's called. Every Friday this summer at Oaks Park, you can take advantage of huge savings on deluxe ride bracelets. That includes unlimited all-day rides and a... A round of mini golf. You can get up to four deluxe bracelets um, for just eighteen seventy-five each. So there's another fish event, part of one hundred four days of summer, uh, with uh, our sister station one hundred four point one, the fish. You can find out more at kpdq.com. So hey, a lot of crossover here. And and in fact, there is an event in September, which is what. what? Part KPDQ, part fish. We're promoting a show together. Sort of a hybrid. It is a hybrid. I am so excited because I yes. missed this show when it was here. La- well, I guess it was this year. It was last it year. Last year? No, it was last year, that last September. Ago. So Michael Jr. is coming back. The More Than Funny Tour is coming back to Portland. It's all new material. That's September the 15th. That's a Saturday, 7 p.m. at East Hill Church. You can find out more about that at kpdq.com. I am so looking forward to that show. He is so funny. Yeah, he really is. He's my favorite. I've decided he's my cousin. He doesn't know it yet, but I'll uh, make the introductions when he comes to Feel town. free to explain that to him. I'll, I, I'm really interested to see security's reaction, but apart from that, you know. <laughs> well, you'll vouch for me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. You forgot the other half of that. I wasn't. I, I, I said it just, but it was only at a tone that uh, dogs could hear. <laughs> wow. Oh, also, I want to remind you that the pre-sale pricing for the Singing Christmas Tree tickets, that ends... August 14th. You have through August 14th, but uh, you're going to pay full price and not enjoy that $5 discount per ticket that they're extending through the 14th of August. So do check that out and make sure you have your tickets um, early. Uh, again, the uh, the tree is uh, November 23rd through the 25th, and it resumes the 29th through December 2nd. So uh, check that out. You can call their um, office, 503 557 8733 or singing Christmas tree. Dot org. All right. I think we've covered just about everything we can think of, James. We've covered everything. We've covered it with excellence and oh, uh, go that far. general attention to detail. Yeah, we're trying something new. Excellence. It's not going very well. Anyway, we're going to uh, wrap things well, up. It, it, the, bo- the book isn't called my meh for his highest. 
<laughs> nah, first. No, it it's, isn't. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Jonathan Merritt. The book is titled Learning to Speak, God, Speak to God from Scratch. I left out a word in my transcription of it. Why Sacred Words Are Vanishing and How We Can Revive Them. That's coming up tomorrow right here on The Georgine Rice Show. I want to thank James Blind for engineering, producing today's program, and making Fish Fest possible, by the way. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.